Cape Talk. Plan B with Rebecca Davis. To whom we owe an eternal debt of gratitude. Thank you, Rebecca, for deep diving into the 48 political parties that are registered to contest the national and provincial elections. Just, just national. Just national. And it could have been 49 if the Dacha party had not been too stoned to get there. <laughs> they did plan to to take part and apparently people were planning to vote for them to mm-hmm. say thank you for mm-hmm. their advocacy in changing the rules that's around right. yeah i've heard an amazing number of people say the only party that's ever done something tangible to improve my life is the dacha party but sadly they are not registered for the 2019 elections. and they 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 intended to but they, they did messed it they messed life. it up um for reasons john that we <laughs> cannot speculate about <laughs> but yeah they're not on they're not on the ballot sheet but 48 other parties are and i've painstakingly gone through them all to the point where john give me an issue give me an issue that someone might conceivably be interested in and i'll tell you which party to vote for this is a bold claim eh? you're about to expose me now no no i'm not i wouldn't i wouldn't do that simply because i'm I'm too imaginatively dull to come up with such an issue my point is just that they are quite an extraordinary spectrum of parties actually for instance if you are only if the only thing that keeps you up at night is the thought of how awful the national health insurance is going to be for South Africa, then you should vote for the Free Democrats, a new party whose sole issue is opposing the notion of the national health insurance and replacing it with a bizarre scheme to get all South Africans on a medical aid plan, which honestly truly sounds like something concocted by the medical aid industry. But I cannot slander them because apparently it's not. If, for instance, you care deeply about animal rights not something we hear a lot about then you should consider voting for the land party you don't listen to cape talk much then because animal rights is very important from political parties yeah, should okay. have specified yeah. you should vote for the the land party which uniquely as far as i can see has quite a long section in its manifesto about animal rights and if you are a security guard who is aggrieved by the fact that you do essentially the same work as the police but for less pay and less you know job security, then there is even a special party for security guards to work for. So my point is there's a lot of them out there. But are, are these all parties that have paid yes, the deposits? they've all paid, they, they've all passed the checks. And, and, they what are all the, and the checks, just remind us very quickly, you have to pay how much? 200,000 rand? 200,000 to contest nationally, and obviously they go through they go through, the IEC does its own due diligence in terms of criminal records, we'll get to that, and in terms of um, and do you still have to provide a petition with X number of signatures proving that you have significant support? I think you do. Okay. I'd have to check that. I think you do. So, so these are the, all... These are all stumped uh, up 200,000 K. That's right, which is interesting in itself, John. Mm. And one of the, the factors that stands out for me about these parties is, first of all, the average age of these 48 parties is 10 years old, right? But that is hugely skewed by the presence of the four oldest parties, particularly the 109-year-old, 107-year-old ANC, the IFP, Azapa, and the PAC. If you take those four parties out of it, the average age of these parties is five, five years old. So that suggests to me that there are a lot of people out there who decided that the Zuma years had provided the perfect opportunity to capitalize on votes. And also that... Because so many of them are new, and I mean new as in 
less than a year old, they are very unlikely to have done the national work necessary to create a real national footprint. So these small parties are going to be getting crumbs, realistically. I mean, let's not forget that the monopoly exerted by the ANC and the DA and to some degree the EFF in this country in terms of vote share is so substantial that you can be the fourth largest party in South Africa and still get less than half a million votes. That's the, the position of the IFP currently. So the rest of people below that are really fighting over very, very small quantities of votes. Did your investigation provide any evidence or whatever the opposite of evidence is, um, the absence of evidence? Um, th- th- there is a theory that I've heard from you know, reasonably reputable Analysts that a number of these small parties have been deliberately started mm. by elements associated with Jacob Zuma to potentially take votes away from the Ramaphosa ANC and so strengthen the arm of the Zuma faction with the ANC. Did you find any evidence for that or clear evidence against it? Well, there are two parties to whom that potentially applies to. One is... Jimmy Manu's African Transformation Movement, ATM, which I keep saying we should not write off too soon because they've attracted defections from the NC and the, the Apparently they the did rather well in a by-election Correct. in the Eastern Cape. I haven't had a look at the details, but Correct. apparently they so did, yeah. we shouldn't laugh about the African Transformation Movement. How and can we not? No, 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 that's Jimmy Manu. That's not Claudio Matsuneng. We, we can and must laugh about Claudio Matsuneng. We can and must laugh about Claudio Matsuneng, who have also, however... Um, received the defections of uh, 19, I think, ANC councillors, no, a number of councillors in Gauteng. So they already actually have, the African content movement already has some councillors. There's two parties. The other one is a church-based one. And this is something I wanted to talk about, that of the 48 parties contesting the elections, there are more churchmen leading parties than there are women, which is to say that there are five individuals who go by the name of either pastor or reverend who have recently started political parties. The outlier, of course, is Kenneth Mishwe from the ACDP, which is one of the older parties. So there's definitely the sense that churches have looked around at their congregations, often, you know, substantial thousands, and thought, could we translate this into votes? I mean, that's a cynical view. Maybe they need roughly about four. It depends on the percentage of people who go to the polls, but somewhere around 40,000 votes in order to get a seat in the National Assembly. Yes, that was pretty much it last time. So that's that's around about, I mean, it can be between, let's say, 30 and 60,000, but you need a substantial amount. So churches are big in this election. There's a number of them that have come out. And... um, I'm also interested by, I mean, as I said, the low, the low presence of women, I suppose, is not that shocking, given what we know about South Africa. Well, it's shocking, but not surprising. Yes, 8% of party leaders are women, which is to say there's four, and those are Patricia DeLille of Good, the president of the National Freedom Party, uh, who is also the deputy minister of science and technology, who has been virtually invisible since 2014 after suffering a stroke, the head of Women Forward, who is also the granddaughter of Albert Lutuli, and the fourth is, of course, who am I missing there, John? Patricia? I don't know who you're missing. Um, if, 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 sorry, the minority front. The minority front is led George. by... George! The, the minority front is led by the daughter of the Bengal tiger, Rajbanzi, so his widow. So there's four. So th- there's, here's another stat for you, John, which is that there's also more white men leading parties than there are black African women leading parties. There's still three white men at the helm of South African political parties going into this election. Mulder. Freedom Front Plus. Yeah. The Front National is back. 
Uh, that was originally Dan Root's party. <laughs> and they won only 5,000 votes in the last election, but they're back led by someone called Daniel Lotter. And then the last is this mysterious Free Democrats Party, the party who's running on a platform of private health care, which is run by a Cape Town-based neurologist called Dr. Johan Reed, who has something of an unsavory past when it comes to being accused of sexual misconduct by the Health Professions Council. And being found guilty of such, That's certainly right. in the initial phase. He's a yeah. neurologist who was found guilty of performing an internal pelvic exam on a female patient. I'm not a medical expert, John, but it strikes me that neurologists should not normally have to examine one's interior pelvis. Which brings me to my second point, which is about the dodginess of these candidates, John. That a full... How 20%. 20%, 20% of them, you said in your article, 20% of them have some degree of a criminal past or substantial evidence of wrongdoing against them, verified by independent investigations, which has yet to be prosecuted. In that category, I put, for instance, Julius Malema of the EFF, and I put him in there because of Tuli Madonsela's 2012 public protector report on his company on point engineering, which found compelling evidence that it had misrepresented itself fraudulently to the Limpopo provincial government and benefited unlawfully from contracts. Um, and the same goes for Claudio Motswening. So these, when I say they've got a checkered past, I'm not just talking about political rumours. I'm talking about people... So you're not talking been, about Patricia DeLille, for example. I don't even yeah. include Patricia DeLille because of the fact that she's still challenging in court the Bowman's report, which the DA produced about... I mean, the DA commissioned... And still we are left with 10, 10 candidates at the very top of political parties who are, I'm, I'm just going to say dodgy, John. I don't know how else to put it. The dodgiest, arguably, although it's hard to measure these things, is the leader of ECOSA, the Independent Civil Organization of South Africa. That's right. Mr. Jeffrey Donson, who is a convicted rapist, who was previously convicted of one charge of indecent assault and a number of others of statutory rape after engaging in a sexual relationship with a 15-year-old girl while he was the mayor of Kanaland. And he had a previous conviction for indecent assault while a PE teacher at a Ladysmith High School. He also has financial malfeasance following him around, but that's the headline stuff about Jeffrey Donson. And, of course, the Patriotic Alliance, Gaten McKenzie, who is a convicted armed bank robber. Served his time. Served his time. He has served his time. And, indeed, that is the view of the Constitution, John, which holds that... If you have been sentenced to a prison term, um, but it, you have served it out and more than five years have elapsed since then, you are still eligible for election to the National Assembly, which is why someone like Gaten McKenzie can be elected. And, you know, to some degree, rightly so. We have to believe in the principle of rehabilitation. It's an important tenet of most liberal democracies. But I must say the inclusion of people like Jeffrey Donson really gives me pause for thought about whether we should be electing convicted rapists. We shouldn't, and I sincerely hope we don't. But, Rebecca, and this, folks, by the way, is said tongue-in-cheek. Let's get on to something really, really important. Uh, Australia is agog. I say that without fear of being contradicted, <laughs> because tomorrow, if I read the story correctly, Australia's version of our Supreme Court of Appeal delivers its verdict on an appeal before it. And the question is whether it is workplace bullying for a boss to turn around and fart in the face of an employee in a confined space several times a day. 
The lower court said no, this does not amount to workplace bullying and the Supreme uh, Supreme Court of Appeal, I hope, will find that farting the faces of a subordinate is very definitely workplace bullying. I would absolutely agree. This is David Hinkst, a contractor at an engineering firm, who said that his boss, who he termed Mr. Stinky, had subjected him to basically a reign of torture where he would be, he would come into his office, he would, quote, lift his bum and fart on me. He would, quote, thrust his buttocks in my face and fart on me. There were no windows in his office, which is an additional problem. And he would do this to Mr. H- Mr. What's his name? Hingst five or six times a day. And Mr. Hingst said it wasn't the case that Mr. Stinky was merely very flatulent. It was that this was part of a deliberate conspiracy to get rid of him. And indeed, what better way? Who among us would be able to endure that kind of treatment, having buttocks thrust upon us and being farted at by a malicious boss multiple times per day? If I were to fart multiple times in three hours in this place, given the air conditioning and the size, I don't think it would be a huge problem. And I'm not George's boss. But if you were to approach George very directly in a confined space and press your buttocks basically upon him in order to fart on him, note that preposition, on... George is shaking his head in horror and disbelief. I mean, this is a torture method very familiar to many children, of course. Um, But the fact that it can be taken into the workplace, John, I hope that justice will be served against Mr. Stinky in this this important matter. So do I, Rebecca. Thank you very, very much for your deep diving into the 48 political parties and the criminals or almost certainly criminals that lead far too many of them. Rebecca Davis of Daily Maverick.